Welcome back to another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide. I am your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz, and this week's episode includes the most monumental event in baseball history in America's pastime. One man, one event, the reoccurring celebration of that event. This week we have Mark on the show doing commentary. Alex had the week off. Let's get into those great events of America's pastime. April 10th, 1962. Wally Post hits the first home run in Dodgers Stadium history. A two-out, three-run shot in the seventh inning over the center field fence off Johnny Padres that proves to be the difference in Cincinnati's 63 victory. The left fielder's homer is a fair ball, unlike some others hit at Chavez Ravine with the discovery of the foul poles that are positioned in foul territory, requiring special permission from the National League for balls down the line to be recognized as fair. April 10th, 1969. Tommy Agee hits a monster shot into the top tier of the stadium in left field, making the blast the longest home run to reach the seats in Shea Stadium history. The Mets place a disc in the Flushing Ballpark's upper deck to commemorate the Mets center fielder's historic home run. At any ballpark that's around for long enough, there are certain spots where you know the ball just doesn't go. Whether it's out of Yankee Stadium or over the scoreboard at Wrigley Field, there are places that baseballs have never gone and possibly never will. In 45 seasons of baseball at Shea, the upper deck has been just unreachable, except for one swing on April 10th, 1969. On a Wednesday afternoon, Tommy Agee made history in the second inning against the Montreal Expos, and there were only 8,608 fans in attendance to see it. The game wasn't televised, and there's no video footage of the blast, but only vivid memories of the event that happened on this date. In your scorecard, number 20, Tommy Agee, hits a home run into the upper deck at Shea. As a fan a lifelong Met fan, I was never able to afford the good seats. So I always used to sit in the upper deck. Got to see the entire field. Got to see all the action in just one glimpse over the entire layout of Shea Stadium. One of my favorite memories of Shea Stadium was always visiting the Tommy Agee target. The upper deck in left field. Even today, the blast from Tommy Agee is a big memory in Mets history. However, even though it's not represented at City Field, the visions of going and seeing the big, white, blue, and orange target that marks the date April 10th, 1969, to where Tommy Agee hit the home run will forever be an everlasting image in my mind. April 10th, 1976. After being granted his free agency in a landmark case that will forever change baseball, Andy Messersmith becomes one of the first major leaguers to use his new status to sign with a team of his choice. The former Dodger right-hander comes to terms with the Braves, posting a 16-15 record during his two-year tenure for his new club. April 11th, 1907. Quote, Boy, they sure called me a lot of names when I tried on those shin guards. They must have been a good idea at that point, though because they tell me catchers are still wearing them, unquote. 
Roger Bresnahan reflecting on being the first major league catcher to wear shin guards. On opening day, playing against the Phillies at the Polo Grounds, Giants catcher Roger Bresnahan becomes the first player to wear shin guards in a major league game. The future Hall of Famer's receiver, innovative protective device, fastened with straps and hooks, was made of leather. April 11th, 1961. The upstart Angels, playing their first game in franchise history, defeat a strong Orioles team at Baltimore's Memorial Stadium 7-2. Ted Klususki homers twice, and Eli Gerba tosses a complete game for the LA Angels. April 11th, 1962. After being rained out on the previous night, and with some players getting stuck in an elevator, the Mets make their National League debut in St. Louis, losing to the Cardinals at Busch Stadium 11-4. The defeat will be the first of a record-setting 120 losses the New York expansion team will suffer this season. This is Bob Murphy welcoming you to the first regular season game in the history of the New York Mets. Tonight, the New York Mets meet the St. Louis Cardinals right here in St. Louis. April 11th, 1966. 20 years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, Emmett Ashford becomes the first black major league umpire, working third base when the Senators host the Tigers on opening day at DC Stadium. The dapper Californian arbitrator will become well known for his flashy style, which includes sprinting around the infield after foul balls, his karate chop strike calls, and pirouetting while dusting off home plate. While an umpire in the minor leagues, Emmett Ashford's flamboyant character and style made him a favorite of fans and players alike. In 1966, 19 years after Jackie Robinson's debut, he became the first African-American to umpire a game in professional baseball. Just four years later, he was chosen to officiate in the 1970 World Series. April 12, 1927. Giants first baseman Bill Terry becomes the first major leaguer to hit a grand slam on opening day. The New York infielder's four-run round tripper comes off Philly's right-hander Hal Carlson in the fifth inning of the team's 15-7 victory at Baker Bowl. April 12, 1970. Phil Roof, followed by Hank Aaron and Felipe Alou, becomes the first of only three major leaguers to play for both the Milwaukee Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers, scoring three runs in the team's 16-2 route of Chicago at White Sox Park. In 1960, the catcher made his Major League debut with the Braves, appearing in three games before being traded to the Angels in 1964. April 12, 1988. Bobby Witt ties an American League record, committing four balks in the Rangers' 4-1 loss in Detroit. The Major League record for most balks in one game is five, established in 1963 by Braves right-hander Bob Shaw which included three in the third inning of the team's 7-5 loss to the Cubs at Wrigley Field. April 13, 1883. Quote, good ball players make good citizens, unquote. Chester A. Arthur, 21st President of the United States. Chester A. Arthur brings the Forest Cities Ball Club, a recently defunct franchise of the National Association, to the White House making it the first professional team to visit with a president in Washington, D.C. Later in the season, the country's commander-in-chief will also host the new National League's New York Gothams, which will become better known as the Giants in 1885. April 13, 1963. 
Reds second baseman Pete Rose triples off Pirates pitcher Bob Friend to collect his first major league hit. The future all-time hit leader, who will amass 4,256 hits during his 24-year career, had gone hitless in his first 11 major league at-bats. April 13, 1984. On the same date he got his first major league hit, 21 years earlier, Pete Rose, as a member of the Montreal Expos, doubles off Phillies hurler Jerry Kuzman for his 4,000th career hit, becoming the first player in the National League to reach the milestone. Montreal beats Philadelphia in the Friday the 13th contest at Olympic Stadium 5-1. to one. A couple of veterans going at each other here. Rose driving the ball to right field. presented to Pete by Yvonne de Jesus. And a tremendous feat we saw today. Pete Rose getting his 4,000 hit, standing ovation by the crowd. And he's going to present it to Billy DeMars. That's who he said he was going to give it to. There it is. He's hitting coach. April 13, 1993. Lee Smith passes Jeff Reardon to become the all-time Major League Saves leader when the Cardinals beat the Dodgers 9-7. The right-handed reliever tosses a scoreless ninth inning at Chavez Ravine to record his 358th career save. April 14, 1911. Shortly after midnight, a tremendous fire breaks out, destroying much of the polo grounds, leaving the Giants without a place to play. The Highlanders invite the McGraw men to share Hilltop Park, an offer the displaced National League team accepts for six weeks until the completion of the temporary stands at their damaged ballpark are repaired. April 14, 1968. Jim Bunning becomes the first pitcher since Cy Young to collect a thousand strikeouts in both leagues when he whiffs eight Dodgers during his first win for the Pirates, a 3-0 complete game victory at Chavez Ravine. The 37-year-old right-hander, acquired from the Phillies in December, sent 1,406 American League batters back to the bench with a bat in their hands for nine seasons while pitching for the Tigers at the start of his Hall of Fame career. April 14, 1982. At Watt Powell Park, the home of the International League's Charleston Charlies, Toledo Mudheads pinch hitter Randy Bush hits an eighth-inning home run in the team's 4-3 victory over Charleston that travels over 200 miles. The Twins' farmhand, not known for his power, hits a ball over the right-field fence that lands onto a moving coal train. April 14, 1999. Tampa Bay's DH Jose Canseco becomes the 28th player in Major League history to hit 400 home runs when he takes Kelvin Escobar deep down the left field line in the top of the third inning in the Devil Rays 7-6 loss to Toronto at the Sky Dome. The controversial slugger will finish his 17-year career in 2001 with 462 home runs. One milestone. April 
April 15, 1947, a year before President Truman desegregated the military, Jackie Robinson debuts for the Dodgers, becoming the first black player to participate in a major league game this century. In front of 25,623 Ebbets Field fans, the 28-year-old first baseman is hitless in his first three at-bats, but scores a run in the 5-3 opening day victory over the Braves. During Major League Baseball's first several decades, names like Ruth, Cobb, and Gehrig turned the league into the heart of a national pastime. But in the segregationist America of the early 20th century, national was far more exclusive than it was inclusive. The big leagues were reserved for whites. An imaginary color line encircled every diamond in the majors, leaving blackball players to play in so-called Negro leagues, where the money was scarce, but the talent was plentiful. Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, and Roy Campanella were just a few of the stars who'd bring the Negro Leagues to prominence in the 1930s. But the color line dividing them from the major leagues was notoriously stubborn, and it would take a man like Branch Rickey to finally snap it in half. In the mid-1940s, Ricky, the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, began making plans to recruit a player from the Negro Leagues, a decision that was met with plenty of raised eyebrows. I think that uh, being a very religious man the way that he was and uh, knowing that the black ball players could not play in, base, in, in Major League Baseball and professional baseball, I just think he wanted to do something about it. Ricky set his sights on Jackie Robinson, a shortstop with the Kansas City Monarchs, and in 1945, approached him with an offer. But that offer came with a condition, which resulted in a famous exchange between Ricky and Robinson. Later portrayed in the 1950s, the story of Jackie Robinson, with Robinson playing himself. Suppose I collide with you at second base, and when I get up, I say, you, you dirty black so-and-so. What do you do? Mr. Ricky, do you want a ball player who's afraid to fight back? I want a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. Robinson accepted the terms, and in 1946, suited up with the Dodgers farm team, the Montreal Royals. This is truly an historic day here in Jersey City. A 27-year-old Negro named Jackie Robinson is playing his first game for the Montreal Royals, the Dodger Farm Club. Robinson steps to the plate. Here's the pitch. Swing a long drive into deep left field. It might be home run, Jackie Robinson. Robinson thrived in Montreal. He was named the league's most valuable player. And with just days to go before the start of the 1947 season, he was signed to his first major league contract, debuting for the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947. It was a day when somehow people knew, thoughtful people, educated people, hey, it's not just whites playing a game on a diamond anymore. Forget the architecture so regaled by baseball writers. Suddenly, it was a new beginning. The long-standing color line was finally broken. But being the first black major leaguer, Jackie quickly found himself the object of scorn, not only among fans, but among some of his own teammates as well. Many who petitioned against the very idea 
a Robinson wearing a big league uniform. And I said, I don't know about any petition, but they tell me you got one up. And I don't know about any petition, but I'll tell you what you can do with it. Because Robinson's going to play on this ball club. Because I don't look at the color, I don't care if he's green, black, yellow, white. He has talent. And he will put money in your pocket and my pocket. This is some kind of player. And he's going to be here. And I'm warning you now that he's only the first of many to follow. Jackie was some kind of player. He won Rookie of the Year in 1947 and went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Jackie Robinson, runner at third base, takes his lead. And the Robinson's going to try to steal home. He is safe at home plate. Yogi Berra's going crazy. Berra thought he had him, but Jackie Robinson has stolen home. But more important than his play on the field was the attitude, the defiance, the courage he displayed in a world that wanted nothing to do with him, simply because of the color of his skin. April 15, 1947, wasn't just a turning point for Major League Baseball. It was a turning point for an entire country. April 15, 1968. The Astros defeat the Mets in 24 innings, one to nothing making it the longest scoreless game in Major League history. The six-hour and six-minute contest, which in each team had 79 at-bats and 11 hits, ends when Bob Ospermonte's grounder goes through the legs of shortstop Al Weiss, scoring Norm Miller from third base with one out. April 15, 1997. With President Clinton and Rachel Robinson in attendance at Shea Stadium's ceremony, Commissioner Bud Selig announces Jackie Robinson's number 42 will be retired throughout Major League Baseball, an unprecedented tribute to the player who broke the color barrier 50 years ago on this date. There are presently 13 active players still wearing the number who will be allowed to keep it, including Mariano Rivera, who in 2013 will become the last player to don the digits. Mr. President, Mrs. Robinson, Ladies and gentlemen, throughout its long history, Major League Baseball has operated under the premise that no single person is bigger than the game. No single person other than Jackie Robinson. In his life and in the remarkable legacy he left for all Americans, Jackie Robinson was and remains bigger than the game. Jackie's entry into Major League Baseball 50 years ago today will forever remain baseball's proudest moment. This evening, we are paying tribute to Jackie for his great achievements and the significant contributions he made to society, all of which helped make our country a better place. In honor of Jackie, Major League Baseball is taking the unprecedented step of retiring his uniform number, number 42, in perpetuity. Those players... Those players who currently wear 42, including those like Butch Husky of the Mets, and 
and Mo Vaughn of the Boston Red Sox, who wear the number in tribute to Jackie, may continue to wear the number for the remainder of their careers. However, number 42 from this day forward will never again be issued by a major league club. Number 42 belongs to Jackie Robinson for the ages. Ladies and gentlemen, may I now direct your attention to the left field wall for a special unveiling. Some days in baseball famous and some are living infamy. And April 15th, 1947 is the first night I can think of when we talk about this topic because that was the day Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. 50 years later at the home of New York Mets, Shea Stadium, April 15, 1997. With President Bill Clinton in attendance, Jackie Robinson's wife, Rachel Robinson, and at the time the commissioner of baseball, Bud Sealing, announced that number 42 would be retired throughout the league and basically the first league to ever do it. It also be announced on that day would be declared Jackie Robinson Day. And any game played on April 15th from here on in, all players, coaches, managers, whoever, We'll wear 42 on their back to remember the legend. But of course, that's not all that Jackie Robinson's remembered for. In Game 1 of the World Series in 1955, Jackie Robinson would steal home. Legendary catcher Yogi Berra, to the day he passed on, swore that he tagged Jackie out. And Jackie Robinson would counter and say, I was safe. But that's not all. 1948, Pee Wee reached the then shortstop of the Brooklyn Dodgers, will walk across the diamond and put his arm around Jackie Robinson thank him for joining the team. Sadly, not all baseball felt the same way as Pee Wee Reese did, because Jackie Robinson would face racism, not only from his own teammates, but also from the entire National League. Some pitchers threw at Jackie's head, and as he played first base, some players tried to spike him on the back of his heel. But it was Branch Rookie, the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, who told him, you cannot fight back physically, but you can fight back by playing baseball, and that's exactly what Jackie did. He would steal bases, hit home runs, hit singles, doubles, and win ball games for the Brooklyn Dodgers. His batting average lifetime was 3-11. He had 137 home runs, 734 RBIs, a six-time All-Star. He was Rookie of the Year in 1947. In 1949, he won the batting title for the National League. And of course, the Dodgers won the 55 World Series. Jackie Robinson entered the Hall of Fame on July 23rd, 1962, and sadly for all of us, he passed away October 24th, 1972. As a member of a minority, I've loved Jackie Robinson my entire life for having the courage to play professional baseball at the time when racism was at an all-time high. Jackie, we thank you for having the courage and the honor to play in baseball and to pave in the way for anybody to play the game that we love. No matter your race, religion, creed, anything you can think of. I am Mark Brown, and this is Horseside to Callahan. We thank you so much, and we'll see you real soon. April 16, 1946. Before the Senators' 6-3 loss to the Red Sox at Griffith Stadium, Harry Truman becomes the first president to throw the ceremonial first pitch left-handed. On opening day in 1950, 
the Southpaw Commander-in-Chief will make two tosses, one left-handed and one right-handed. April 16, 1975. After making the second of his two poor starts for the Dodgers, Juan Marichal, who signed with the team as a free agent, appears in his final Major League game. The 37-year-old Dominican Dandy finishes his 16-year Hall of Fame career with more complete games, 244, than the total of his victories, 243. April 16, 1989. Blue Jay third baseman Kelly Gruber becomes the first player to hit for this cycle in franchise history when he singles in the eighth inning of the team's 15-8 win against Kansas City. The 27-year-old all-star infielder, Toronto's teammates, buy him a tricycle in recognition of the exhibition stadium accomplishment. He came into the game hitting 385. That could be the single. Here comes Eisenreich charging, but he won't get there. Another Toronto run scores. Gruber has hit for the cycle. And the Blue Jays lead 13 to 8. Six RBIs in the ballgame for Gruber. Clayton tried to run this ball in on his hands. Gruber able to fight it off and get it into center field. The ball not hit all that hard, but. They found a hole in center field. Gruber has four hits. And that's it for this week's episode of Horsehide to Cowhide. We thank Mark for their commentary on the events of this week's show. Alex will be back next week. We do credit Major League Baseball, WPIX, ESPN, SNY, CBC TV, the Decades TV Network for all of the footage that we used on this week's show due to the Fair Usage Act. And we will be back again next week with another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. Looking for his first two of the year. Oh, he drives one. Deep left field. That goes up to Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened.